right. Well, we're going to be continuing our series in Philippians, of course, this morning. We're, in, uh, we're going to be at the beginning of chapter 3. So turn your Bibles with me there to Philippians chapter 3. And um, this, this morning's sermon is all about the gospel. And so whether you are with us this morning and you have been a believer for a long time, or you've been a believer for a short time, or you aren't sure if you're a believer, or you think you're a believer. It doesn't matter where we're at in our spiritual journey. The gospel always speaks to us, and we constantly need to hear it. And as soon as I can remember which side of Corinthians, Philippians is on, we're going to get... Huh? Yeah, well, that didn't come up, fortunately. <laughs> I did have one, one guy in my ordination exam asked me um, for a specific reference that I had generally referred to. He's like, can you tell me where that's found? I was like, ah, oh, it's in, you know, this book around. He goes, and so I'm kind of, he just kind of paused. And I'm kind of fumbling through my Bible. And I'm just kind of waiting for him to move on. He goes, it's okay, I'll wait. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I did find it eventually, but that was an uncomfortable couple of minutes. <laughs> um, at issue in this chapter, Paul addresses something that he addresses in several other several other books. We see this first; it first pops up in Galatians, and I say first because that was the. It's not the first one we come to in Scripture, but it is the first letter that Paul wrote, very likely. Um, the, the issue of the, the Judaizers, and I'm not making that term up, that is what they're universally referred to by scholars. The Judaizers were a group who, um, they, they would often come along behind Paul, or, or they'd already be in the community, and they, on the surface, seemed like Messianic Jews. Because they, they did believe, they did believe that, that Jesus was the Messiah and, and all of that. But they could not get past the idea that these Gentiles were, were able to think they could get into the family of God without observing anything from the Old Testament. And so they would often come behind Paul after Paul had left town and, and say, hey, you guys, you guys heard about Jesus. That's great. Um, so when y'all going to get circumcised? And when y'all going to quit eating pork and, you know, all of this kind of thing? And, and they were like, well, we, we, we're Gentiles and we really like bacon and, um, and we really don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and so they, they really, this was a, this, this is tough because it seems like in the very, very early, early moments of Christianity, you would want to just celebrate anybody that believed Jesus was the Messiah and say, well, you know, they're, they got some weird beliefs about this, but generally we're on the same team. And Paul made it very clear that no, we're not. No, we're not on the same team. And this, I, I, I just, I want us to all hear this because this is so important. I used to wrestle with this, uh, when we lived, when we lived back in Ohio, we, um, we were in a community of um, we, we were we were in an area that bordered right on Amish country. I mean, Holmes County. We were in Wayne County, but Holmes County, Ohio, actually has more Amish people 
in that county than Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which is like more famous for being Amish country. Um, and obviously, you know, we know that the the Amish community is, is is very legalistic in a lot of ways. And so so you've got like the Amish down there and then you've got all different brands of Mennonite that are, you know, anywhere from almost Amish to Mennonite in name only. Yeah, I mean, they kind of run the whole spectrum. And and we lived we lived really near some people that were in, in the, uh, the apostolic movement, not apostolic Pentecostal, just regular apostolic Um it was a kind of, uh, I'm going to put my keys down because I'm going to fidget with them the whole time. Um, <clears throat> well, now she's going to fidget with them the whole time. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I would have conversations with this couple that we rented from that were, that were apostolic. And, and it was always like, man, they, like these people love the Lord. They believe in Jesus. They trust the Bible. They, all of these things. But at the same time, I also knew, because I knew about you know their brand of Christianity, they would call it their um, their beliefs that you got to work hard to kind of be worthy of it. You've got to work hard to keep your salvation. There's there's a, there's a lot of a lot of works based stuff wrapped up in there. You know, church membership is all tied in there. It's just, it's a, it's a whole thing, and they've, they've got all all kinds of remnants of you know from from the Amish um, influence. But but I really wrestled with that because here's here's people that believe in Jesus, trust the Bible, love the Lord. Are they really not saved? Now, fortunately, let me caveat this. It is not my job, fortunately. To be what what some in the theological community like to call fruit inspectors, we go around and look at everybody else's life and decide whether or not this person saved or that person saved. I I don't know people's heart. I, th- I think there were definitely some genuine Christians in that church that just stayed in it because their family's in it, and that's you know all of that. I am going somewhere with this. I promise. Kara's giving me that look like you're rambling. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe I'm just feeling because I feel like I'm rambling. This is so important for our lives because the real question, the question that I had to, I had to finally come back to with those people, and the question that we always have to come back to when it comes to the gospel, is at the end of the day, it doesn't... It's not just about what you believe. Look at the book of James. James says, you believe God is one. You do well. I listened to a podcast this week by Al Mohler, who's president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. You know, I, I get a daily dose of uh, keeping my head straight in this crazy world we live in from him. And he, he mentioned a move, there's a movement, um, not, not among mainline Protestantism, but th- there's kind of a... a a liberal movement within the, the church in America and, and across the world that says, as long as you believe in some sort of monotheism, you know, that there's only one God, you can call him Jehovah, you can call him Allah, you can call him whatever, you know, God will sort that out. And that, that is such a heresy. It doesn't matter how genuine your beliefs are if they're false. And at the end of the day, the most important thing when it comes to the gospel and salvation is, this question, what are you trusting for your salvation? 
if you stood before God today, you get in a car accident on the way out of here, and you stand before God and He says, why should I let you in here? How do you answer that question? I want, I want everybody to get your answer to that question in your head. And, and in a few minutes, we'll, we'll see if it lines up with Scripture. Because it is so, so, so important that we know for sure what we are trusting for our salvation. There's nothing more important than that. So let's look here. Let's, let's read the passage, and we'll, um, we'll, we'll pick this apart. It says, finally, brothers. Now, he is not landing the plane here. He still has an entire chapter after this one. This is, he's kind of wrapping up one point. He's encouraged them to rejoice a lot of times. And he says here, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is the first time he said rejoice in the Lord. I said we'd pick it up part after. So let me just keep reading because I could do that. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think in this way, and if, any, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. He's addressing here. You know, first, first, he's he's so thankful to the Philippians. He mentions he he mentions. We'll get to it in later part here in chapter four. I mean, he mentions they they've sent him time and again, multiple times in different places. They've sent him financial support. This is one of one of Paul's strongest supporting churches. This one and and Ephesians, uh, the the church at Ephesus. Um, because they, he, he lived there longer, and so they knew him so well. But but this this church supported him financially, I think, more than we have record of any other church. He's he's rejoicing them, he's thanking them for all of these things. But now now he's getting to the part where he's 
He's giving them a challenge and he's encouraging them. He knows that behind him, everywhere he went, especially in, on that side of the Adriatic Sea, Judaizers came behind him. Jewish, Jewish people who, who sought to tack on more things to salvation, more things um, to the gospel. And, and Paul, Paul took great exception to this. The difference between faith alone and faith plus works is huge. If my salvation is dependent upon something that Jesus did, but also some things that I have to do, like, like we gotta meet him in the middle, like Jesus died on the cross and all, but like I gotta, I gotta hold up my end too, that, that's, that does not work. We can never hold up our end, ever. You know, our, our righteousness, like like Paul says, is like filthy rags. It's loss. It, it's not gain, it's loss. And this is what Paul's trying to get us to understand. We think, we think that, that you know, we got, no, let's see, what's saving me is Jesus' blood. Yes, but look at these nice things I did too. Jesus died on the cross to save me and... I did some really good things. No, it's not gain, it's loss. Anything, anything we do in our lives, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do good things, but the, the good deeds, the good works that we do that God has prepared for us that we should do them, as Scripture says, I think that was in the passage you read this morning, that's in response to what Christ has done for us, not because what Christ did wasn't enough. If, if, the, if our righteousness, I put that in scare quotes on purpose because it hardly counts. It doesn't really. If our righteousness is a distraction from trusting Christ, if, if, we, if we start to look at our own righteousness and think, you know, it's a good thing I'm a good person or God might not let me into heaven someday. No. You just minimize the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. You've just elevated yourself in, in sinful pride, elevated yourself to the level of, it's a good thing I could help save myself. No, there is nothing we can do to sweeten the pot of Christ's blood. No way. The only way that we're forgiven is that God looks at us and sees the blood of His Son and says, that is enough. That is enough to save you. There's no amount of other things yeah, but also look at this stuff. Uh, no, that doesn't make it better. It can't get better than the blood of Christ. And so when you, when you think of the gospel in its purest sense like that, only the blood of Christ, only faith in what Christ has done completely, and then I just live in response to that. When we think of it any other way, you can see how the, the message of the Judaizers that Hey, that's great, but you also need to start following some kosher dietary laws. You also need to fill in the blank. Circumcision was kind of a big thing for them. Because that was the thing. Circumcision through the, through the Old Testament was, was this physical marker that like marked out the people of God as they knew themselves from the rest of the world. And so they saw this as a continuation of you know, hey, you want to be the people of God? This is what we do. And these 
full-grown adult Greek men were not all about that. <laughs> Can you blame them? But Paul, Paul uses some very strong language here in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Mutilate the flesh is a reference to pagan stuff. You, know, you think of think of the story of Elijah in the Old Testament with the prophets of Baal and how they're like cutting themselves and like doing all this like you know I mean they did that. Like that I mean mutilating the flesh is a reference to like awful pagan ritual kind of things where people would, would do that kind of thing. And 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 dogs, dogs in you know, we call them man's best friend. But not in, in ancient Israel. That was not um, the view of dogs. Dogs were like, if you've ever been in a, have you, any of you ever been on a mission trip out of the country? You went to Honduras, right? It, you ever see the dogs running around there? They're not nice looking dogs that you want to take home with you. No, they're mangy, they're gross, they're, 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 they're scavengers. You know, they, they, they're, you know, they, they eat the leftovers of whatever and, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a, not a pretty sight. Dogs in the ancient world represented that. They represented a very undesirable, very um, kind of a gross um, symbol. Paul, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, who up until his conversion was like letter of the law, I do these things is now referring to, because he mentions right out this, for we are the real circumcision. Wait a minute. So in verse 2, he's talking about, he's talking about Jewish people insisting on circumcision, and he's talking about, like, this thing from the Old Testament in those terms? Here's why. For people who are saved by the blood of Christ, completely, to then feel like they had to go and do these things also, it's of zero value. And, and he's, he's saying at this point, for someone saved through faith in Christ by the grace of God, to then go and, and think, well, I gotta get circumcised too. He's, that's, it's, at that point, it's not a symbol of I belong to God. It's just mutilating your flesh. There is zero point to it. And in fact, it's detrimental because you could start to trust those things. Like this one, it, because I didn't have you say what you, wh- why you think you're, you know, why God should let you into heaven. Remember, I had to get that answer in your head. If your answer is, well, I was baptized. No, no, that's that's not that's baptism does not save someone. Baptism is a is 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 an outward symbol of what has already happened on the inside. Faith, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so he's, he's saying that, that circumcision for, for non-Jewish people, you know, say, like, that, that, it's totally pointless. There's no reason for it. And, and in fact, it's, it's actually a negative. It's not like a, oh, oh, good, and you got circumcised. No, that's, that's, not, that's not helping. That is not helping. There's no point. We are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put 
no confidence in the flesh. He says there at the end of verse 3, we put no confidence in the flesh. It is actually important that they don't go along with some of these, these Jewish customs. Because along with, you know, if, if you attach this list, and here's the thing, I realize we don't push Jewish customs on people, but we can do this in the church in America. But you go, well, that's great, you got saved. Now here's the list of things you can and can't do. As if we're somehow tying those things to salvation. Now here's a question. That list of things, whether it be, um, oh man, fill in the blank, where to start. Whether it be, you know, drunken carousing or, um, you know, sex outside of marriage or, or whatever. I mean, fill, fill in the blank. Should you do those things? Of course you shouldn't. But if you're, do, if you're not doing those things because you think it helps save you, that's, nope, that's wrong. We live our lives different because God has saved us, not so that God will save us. That is such a... Such a huge difference, and I hope, I hope we all understand that. We live our lives different because God's has, God has saved us as Christians, not so that God will save us. Here's the, here's the other thing. For someone who is, who is not saved, what do they need most? Do they need the list of do's and don'ts? No. The person that's, you know, shacking up with their, their boyfriend or girlfriend over here and isn't saved, what do they need first? Do they need to move out and, you know, quit, quit doing, you know, quit fornicating and all that? Um, nope. But they, they need Jesus or they have no reason to do that. Why would an unsaved person act like a Christian? There's, there's no re- it's an unreasonable expectation to, and, and in fact, an unsaved person that acts like a Christian probably has a harder time seeing their need for a Savior because they can easily think they're a good person. These first six verses, he highlights the worthlessness of the flesh. The worthlessness of the flesh. As in the worthlessness, the absolute lack of any value that our own, if, if it's something I can do, it can't help save me. If it's even possible for me to do it, there's no way it can help. Because I'm incapable of saving myself. These first six verses, he makes it so clear. And he, and he say, I, I love that it's Paul writing this letter because he makes this point. He says, oh, you want to tack on some, uh, so, some, some Jewish custom requirements for people that get saved? So what they got to do, what, two things? Like quit eating pork, you know, start eating kosher and, and get circumcised. Like that, that's your list. He's like, let me give you my list of reasons for confidence in the flesh. He's like, I was the cream of the crop, the top tier. Like you, you couldn't get, as far as the Pharisees went, like Paul was the rising star of the Pharisees. He, he I mean, we don't know this, but you know, maybe he would have been in line to be chief priest someday. I don't know how that really works. Probably nepotism involved there. And he was from Tarsus, so probably not. But, but he says here, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's like, I don't care who you are. I can guarantee I have more, uh, you know, I meet more flesh qualifications than you. Not just circumcised, circumcised on the eighth day, like it says in the Old Testament. Um, 
of of the people of Israel. In other words, you know, my family didn't like join join the Jewish movement somewhere along the way. Like I'm actually descended from Abraham's family. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So, so not just I can't. Not only can I trace my um, my lineage back to Abraham, I can trace my lineage back to like the favorite ones. You know, Joseph and Benjamin were born of the. Uh, you know, they were the favored ones. He's like, I'm on. I'm on the favored track there. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. I not only obeyed the Old Testament law, I even obeyed all the extra stuff that we added on to it. He's like, I walked the line, let me tell you. As to zeal, just in case you thought he was only going through the motions, no. As to zeal and passion for that movement, a persecutor of the church. He wasn't just going through the motions of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, meet all these qualifications because I guess I have to. No, he was excited about it. He was at the forefront of the movement that was arresting Christians and dragging them out and, and putting them in prison. Under the law, as, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul recognized that that whole list of qualifications was an obstacle in the way of the gospel in his life. These were all things that until his encounter on the road to Damascus with Jesus Christ, these were all things he was trusting for God to let him into heaven someday. Of course God's going to let me into heaven. Look at all that I'm doing for him. Look at, look at, look at all the obedience in my life. Look at all the, you know, I'm even passionate about it. Like, I'm not just going through the motions. I'm passionate about it. Like, of course God's going to let me into heaven. And then Jesus showed him, all of this is worth nothing. All of this is, is, it's trash. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He talks here in this, in this next section from verses 7 to 11 about the value of knowing Christ. The worthlessness of the flesh and the value of knowing Christ. If you can put those two together, it's not the value of knowing Christ. And, and, then, and then, you know, the flesh is pretty, pretty, you know, that's good too. He's saying, no, 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 no. The value of knowing Christ is so high. Anything you've got confidence in, just throw it away. Throw it away. Because that, that is a thing that is taking your eyes off of Christ and onto this pride, you know, this, this prideful thing that you've got in your life. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Not just counted as loss. He says in verse 8, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. You think it was easy for Paul to let go of this entire life that he'd built? His entire life's work, all of his education led him to this point. Of, you know, I just want you to think of Paul on the road to Damascus right before he meets Jesus. He's, he's headed to the, the church at Damascus to arrest these disciples of Christ, these followers of Jesus. And up to this point, his entire life has been leading him to this point. He was picked out of, out of a group of children to like, you know, he passed all his classes and then he got to go to like, 
whatever they call it, you know, rabbi school, where you actually get to follow a rabbi around for like your whole teenage years, and and, and you get to study. Like that is a privilege. That's that's why it was it was crazy the people that Jesus, as a rabbi, called to follow him. These were not people that passed their classes. These are people that fished for a living and you know collected taxes for Rome and things like that. These were not the people that should have gotten the privilege to follow a rabbi, but Paul did. Paul met all those qualifications. He he got to study for a living, and then he got to become a rabbi, and then he got to become you know be a Pharisee and, and do all of the. He got this level of privilege. He walked into he walked into um, ancient Israel Starbucks and got cut straight to the front of the line because oh you know let me honor this. Pharisee coming in. This was he had a pretty good life as a Pharisee. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. The suffering had nothing to do with I no longer get these privileges in society. No, the, the suffering is to real is is the recognition that I wasted. I wasted so much of my life pursuing something that was not Christ. I wasted so much of my life actually working against Christ, thinking that I was doing God a favor. I've suffered the loss of all things, and I don't... He's not saying, and I miss those things. He's saying, and I count them as rubbish. The the word there, I want you to think of all the different kinds of trash you can imagine, like the trash behind a grocery store. I'll tell you, that's gross. Um, the trash behind a restaurant, ugh, nasty. How about the trash behind a hospital? That's not just gross. Like that can make you sick. That's that's real nasty. I'm not, I'm not gonna go into further detail because I, I could with the word that Paul uses here. Rubbish doesn't even begin to touch it in English. He's talking like medical waste, gross. It's offensive. I want to, I want to key in on, on that word. It's offensive. These things that I used to do in the flesh, I don't miss them. They are offensive to me. Now that I trust Christ alone to save me, the idea that I would do these things and trust, trust in something I could do in my flesh for, for my own salvation, that is offensive to me. I want nothing to do with that. I want to, I want to get as far away from that as possible. It is, it's, it's wicked, it's vile, it's, it is an offense to God and it is an offense to me. I have suffered the loss of all things. It was hard to let go. But once I did, I don't want any, I don't, Paul is saying, I don't want any part of that life anymore. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. The value of knowing Christ. I mean, that is that is the the crux of our existence to know Him and be known. Now, here's the thing: God already knows you. Do you know Him? The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. That encounter on the road to Damascus didn't just change His life; it radically changed His life. The value. His entire life's work over here and knowing Christ over here, that moment on that road when he was blinded by the glory of Christ was the most valuable thing that ever happened to him. 
and his entire life's work over here, throw that away. Just throw it. I wish it never even happened. Throw it away. This is the most valuable thing in my life. Spurgeon says here, he says, the very high value that the Apostle Paul set on the Savior is most palpable when he speaks of gaining him. This shows that the Savior held the same place in Paul's esteem as the crown did in the esteem of the runner at the Olympic Games. To gain that crown, the competitor strained every nerve and sinew, feeling as though he were content to drop down dead at the goal in order to win it. Paul felt that if he were to run with all his might, straining his soul and body to gain Christ, it would be well worth the effort. Christ would be well worth dying to gain. He's not talking about working to be good enough for Christ. He's saying, the value I place on even knowing Him, the rest of my life's work, devoted toward that one thing, Jesus Christ, It's not even enough. I I don't have enough to give for it to be worth demonstrating the value I place on this thing. He is not talking about, clearly, he's not talking about working for his salvation. He's talking about working because of his salvation. Jesus Christ saved me from myself. He, He forgave my sins. I mean, that was something Paul could never do. He could meet all of these, he he could obey all these rules, he could do all of these things, but he could never erase sin in his life. Only Jesus could do that. What a powerful thing. Verse 9, And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. The the big scary theological word here is imputed righteousness. In other words, your, your righteousness, you're standing before God, God looks at you and says, righteous person. Not because you did anything righteous, but because someone else who actually was a righteous person gave his righteousness to you. And that's Jesus Christ. When he, when he died on the, on, on the cross, He took your penalty and gave you His privilege. He gives you, he, he imputes, He places on you His standing before God. And so, so the righteousness that we have confidence in is Christ's righteousness, not ours. Not ours at all. He, he delves into this in the book of Romans, and you could study the book of Romans from chapter 1 to chapter, what is it, 13? Whatever the last chapter of Romans is. Again, that didn't come up in my ordination. Uh, 16. I definitely knew that. Um, and then you could get done with chapter 16 and go back to the beginning of chapter 1, and you could just study the book of Romans for the rest of your life and still only be scratching the surface on the theology that he um, picks apart in that. But one of the things that he go he is he hammers really, really hard in the book of Romans is righteousness. There's two kinds. There's the kind that you earn, and you better not mess up ever, anywhere ever, or it's messed up. So there's the righteousness you can earn through the law, which you can't, or there's the righteousness that you get that's actually Jesus' righteousness, but he gives it to you through faith. It's one or the other. It's not a little bit of, it's not a lot of this one and a little bit of this one. It's not a lot of this one and then 
some of Christ's righteousness to make up for the little bit that you... No, it is all on you, or it's all on Jesus, one or the other. And, and this one never works. There's been one perfect human on this planet ever, and that was Jesus. So, so you pick which one you want. And, and, and then, it, you know, the book of Romans, he spends tons of time in. So if you pick this one, here's what this means for you. Um, you're wrecked. And uh, it's, it's not good enough. Your most righteous righteousness is not righteous enough for God. If you pick this one, Christ's righteousness, here's what that means for your life. So anyway, that's a great study I'm sure we will get into. I'm not trying to muddy the water here. But, but, but the, my point is, my point is when, when your righteousness comes through faith in Christ, and it's Christ's righteousness given to you, and it does, it, it's not one that you earned, it's one that was given to you, it changes and it, and it impacts how you live. It impacts how you think about it. It in, impacts what you're trusting to save you. I've had conversations with, with many, many people, even church people over the years that, and it's unbelievable to me, youth group kids that, you know, didn't just come from, you know, come to youth group unchurched with a friend. Like, youth group kids that grew up in youth group, families real involved in church, who don't understand trusting Christ alone to save you. So I want to go back to that question. If, if you were if you were to get T-boned pulling out of this parking lot after church today, and you stand before God and He says, "Why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you in here? What's what's your answer? Why well, pray a prayer one? T- no, 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 no. That's faith in a prayer. There's no magic words. I, you know, I I went to a thing and they said repeat after me and I repeated it. That's great. Did you have any idea what you prayed? Did you actually believe those things or did you just repeat after somebody because they said to? Magic words don't save people. The blood of Christ saves people. The grace, you know, our, our salvation is by grace through faith. Was there faith or just a prayer? Do you believe it? Do you actually really believe it? Because no one that is not perfectly righteous can ever enter God's heaven. And no one can meet that standard except Christ. If your answer is anything other than that, I'd love to talk to you after the service. The the last section here, verses 12 through 16, He's talking, he talks to him about my response to what he has done. And he's already touched on this, um, talking about straining with everything that's in him. He, he says here in, in verse 12, not, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He's not, when he says obtained this, he's not talking about like I haven't yet earned my salvation. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about a life lived in perfect response to what Jesus did for me. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. He, he, makes, he makes a really clear point here that um, 
This is not I, but Christ. I press on. I strain with everything I have for Christ because of what He did for me. That's what He's saying here. Because of what He did for me, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There is a call upward after we've believed. Not before. After we've believed, there's a call that this world is no longer our home. We're here as God's representatives, but we don't belong here. We're citizens of heaven. We're going to have a series, a whole series on that later, uh, later this year. But the upward call of God in Christ Jesus is the call for the Christian to raise the standard to be God's representative. How can we represent the God that saved us if our lives look exactly like the lives of those around us? Do we have to change our lifestyles to get into heaven? No. No. That's what Paul's saying. No confidence in the flesh. It's got nothing to do with my salvation. It has everything to do with representing the God that saved me in this world. It has everything to do with showing the people that I work with, the people that I, you know, come into contact with, the people in my school, the people in, you know, that live next door to me, whatever, showing them there is something different about me. And I would love to tell you about it. My life looks different because my life is different. I'm, I'm going to land this plane. And. <clears throat> He says, let those of you who are mature think in this way. Yeah. Only let us hold true to what, we've atta- what we have attained. There is... The upward call of God in the life of the Christian is very, very important. And I'm so glad that Paul explains it in this way because he makes it so clear this is not confidence in the flesh. This is about... This is about representing God well after we're saved because he's worth it. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. I want to challenge us with it, with this question. Is, is Jesus Christ, is knowing Jesus Christ worth that in your life? Does, does knowing Jesus Christ change the way you think about things, to change the way that you talk about things, change the, the lifestyle decisions that you make. Does your life look any different? Again, I want to go back to it's not my job to be a fruit inspector. But there is a fruit inspector. And he sits on a throne. And he will judge the living and the dead. He will separate the wheat from the tares. He knows. And I, I want to challenge us that if, if our lives don't look any different, take a hard look inside and ask yourself, what am I trusting to get me into heaven someday? What am I trusting to have my sins forgiven before a holy God? Is it anything other than the blood of Christ? If you've never, if you've never actually prayed and asked God to forgive you. If you've never acknowledged your need for a Savior, 
acknowledge that there's a standard you can never meet and trusted Christ to save you, there is no better time than today. My example, leading cause of death in America is car accidents. We're all getting ready to get in a car. Don't, don't let grass grow under your feet on this one. There's no more important decision you can make than that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for your word and thank you for this chapter, this, this one half of a chapter in, in this short book in the New Testament that lays out so clearly that there is nothing, nothing we can do to add anything to the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray for each one here. I pray that we would each take a hard look inside and ask that question, what am I trusting? What have I been trusting for my own salvation? God, we lift, the, we lift up the Reyes family before you this morning, and we just th- thank you so much that they're a family of believers. Thank you that the, this aunt that is, that is passing away is passing into eternity with you. God, I pray that we would all, we would all think about that moment in our lives. And make sure that we know how that's going to shake out. In Jesus' name, amen.